0: Tonight's reading is taken from Exodus 33, verse 18 to 34, verse 8, and that's page 92 in the Pew Bible. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere in the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze front of the mountain so moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount sinai early in the morning as the lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands then the lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the lord and he passed in front of moses proclaiming the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious god Slow to anger, abiding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Amen.
1: Good evening, everyone. What a wonderfully enriching thing it is to focus our, our hearts and our minds on God, isn't it? Well, in our, in our talk uh, this evening, we're not really going to do much more than try to press just a little bit deeper into some of those great truths that we've been singing about. So shall we shall we pray? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Father, we consider this morning how we see your glory in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bears and shares your name together with the Holy Spirit. And Father, tonight, as we seek to press into some of the riches of your name, uh, to follow Jesus as he points us to you and to the God that we see in Exodus. We pray that you would bless us, that you would uh, cause our hearts to delight in you, that you would be our strength and our song. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you wouldn't mind keeping open Exodus 33 and 34, we're Going to be basing ourselves kind of mostly in there this evening. I, don't, I won't be asking you, I don't think, to do too much flicking around beyond there. But this is a kind of a conclusion to our whole of our Exodus series. Um, uh, as Mark said, we've been looking at Exodus for about three months now. Um, and I want to get, get you started just um, by putting up some statistics, some of the most popular books that have been sold this month in uh, America, most popular Christian books. I don't know how well you can read that, so I'll I'll run through the list here. Uh, Number one, uh, Girl, Wash Your Face. Number two, The Five Love Languages. Some of us will know that one. Um, I'm particularly excellent at those. Um, (laughs) um, Number three, Racing to the Finish. Uh, I'm not sure what that one's about. Number four, Overcomer. That's about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. Number five, Next Level Thinking by Joel Osteen, will have many, many of us have heard of this. Then number six, uh, Cole and Sav. Don't know what that's about at all. Number seven, Cozy Minimalist Home. Uh, number eight, Jesus Calling. Anyone read that one? Yeah, some of us have read that one. I've never heard anyone recommend it. Um, just little warning on that one, because it's very, it's very popular, I think, but I've heard lots of... I've not looked at it myself, but just, uh, just a caution on that one. Uh, number nine, um, Healing the Soul of a Woman by Joyce Meyer. Some of us all have heard of her. And then When We Were Young, number 10. So what do we notice about those books, just going off the titles? Sorry, self-centered. Oh, yeah, very helpful, yeah. None of them in the title, at least, are mentioning God, are they? We've just spent all evenings singing about God. And none of the top 10 bestsellers in, uh, Christian bestsellers in America seem to be about God. I'm sure they do mention God in them, but none of them seem to be deliberately focused on God. And I don't know whether it's any better here. I suspect in Northern Ireland, just like in England and in America, it's probably going to be pretty similar, isn't it? Um, for some reason, books about God by Christians are not flying off the shelves. We're not buying them. Now, I don't want to say that necessarily about Bloomfield. I think this congregation actually is not too bad at this. I think there's a good hunger for God in this congregation. You can see that in the way we're singing tonight. But if we've learned anything from Exodus, we've learned that salvation is all about bringing us to know God, uh, bringing us to an intimate knowledge of this one who has saved us, Um, If you wanted a a sort of a summary verse for Exodus, here's my best suggestion. I haven't asked Frank or, or Drew what theirs would have been, but you can ask them later. Here's mine, Exodus 28, verse 46. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You see how the Lord is the whole point of this salvation, isn't it? I brought them out of Egypt so I might dwell among them. They'll know this. They'll know me as the Lord their God. Exodus is about God making himself known by saving a people for himself. And what's true of Exodus is true, I think, of salvation in general in the Bible. It is here to make God known so that we can enjoy him forever. And so we thought it would be a fitting way to finish this series, these three months as we've journey through this book of Exodus by, not with a talk about us, but with a talk about God, the one who has loved us, uh, the one who has saved us and wants to make himself known to us. I suppose we're, we're trying to make sure that we don't kind of just look at the, the trees, if you like. I think so often as Christians we can do that. We can talk about this and this and this and this aspect of the Christian life. But sometimes we don't look at the whole picture and draw everything together and try and look at God. So we want to try and do that. Um, tonight, as we see what Exodus has to say about God. Um, Let me just give you a quick reminder of the kind of general shape of Exodus. Um, Hopefully this will be familiar to many of you uh, by now. We've been breaking Exodus down into three big sections, really. Um, So let's have a look at those and what they say about God, at least in in broad terms. So uh, Exodus 1 to 15, God rescues. That's the journey from Egypt all the way through uh, the wilderness, Um, crossing into the wilderness at the Red Sea. Uh, The emphasis, really, in in this opening section of Exodus is on God's power. You remember that familiar phrase? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he brought the people out of Egypt. God's power. Uh, And then, secondly, God restores, or God rules, um, Exodus 16 to 24. This is when the people are journeying through the wilderness. God provides for them, helps them to trust him, uh, leads them to Mount Sinai, And he makes this covenant with them and gives them his law. And I think the emphasis on that section is on God's holiness, his purity, his perfection. And then finally, the last section that we've been looking at the last few weeks, Exodus 25 to the end, God resides. The people are now looking forward to leaving Sinai. And wonderfully, the Lord says, despite their sin, he will go with them. He's going to pitch his tent among them and be their God. And the emphasis I think we've seen is on both on God's justice and on his mercy. Okay, so that's, that's a sort of a brief snapshot of some of the things that Exodus has shown us about God. But I think when we put it like that, um, it can feel a little bit, possibly slightly flat, as though Exodus is kind of like a theology textbook. Here are three things that you really need to know about God, his power, his holiness, his justice and mercy. But I don't know if you've sensed this as we've gone through. Exodus is much more dynamic than that in the way that it it reveals God to us. It's something more like a a training handbook, I think. A a training handbook for a really intense discipline. Um, You can maybe think of mountain climbing. Moses does a lot of climbing up the mountain, doesn't he, to see God. And Exodus, if you like, is training us to do that kind of ascent uh, up to God. Exodus sort of says to us, if you want to know God here's the journey you're going to have to go on. Uh, So Exodus doesn't just give us facts. It kind of is giving us a way of approaching God. And one of the the ways I think we can see this is um, over the last few weeks, we've seen, I think, many of us, that there's this sort of tension, it feels like, in Exodus between seeing God and not seeing God. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it sort of seems to say you can see God. Other times it sort of seems to say you can't see God. So think all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Do you remember when Moses is in the desert and he spots that burning bush? And he he goes over, we're told, to have a look. And the Lord says, stop, don't look, don't come any closer. And then God speaks from this bush, and Moses hides his face. He, He stops looking, he doesn't look. But then fast forward all the way to Sinai, Exodus 24, and uh, that covenant that's made, and the elders go up the mountain. And what are we told they do? They eat and drink, and they see God. So there's this movement from not looking, or or looking at God in the wrong way, sort of too inquisitively, and then having to stop looking, to realise you can't see God properly. And then somehow to get to a point where, where you can see God, at least in part. And that movement, we get that movement, I think, again, in our passage this evening. So just look at Exodus 33, verse 18. Uh, Moses makes this request. Now show me your glory. So he wants to see. But the Lord says he will grant this request, but there's this caution. Verse 20. But, the Lord says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. There's this sense that we can't see God fully. But then Moses does get this very special vision of God in Exodus 34. He doesn't see the Lord's face, though, but he does glimpse something of the Lord's goodness as he sees his his back. So this is important, I think, for, for how we approach this topic of God tonight. Knowing the Lord is wonderful. It's right for us to seek this, just as Moses does. But if we want to see God, we're going to have to be trained. We're going to have to go through a kind of a purification process. Try to lay aside our pride. Try to lay aside our sinful desire. Try to lay aside our impatience. We have to, I think, be ready to actually unlearn things about God. Things that we maybe think we know that are actually not right because we have to recognize that we are prone, our hearts are prone to idolatry, just like the Israelites. We have to recognize that the Lord is not a being in our world to be investigated and explored like anything else. He's not going to fit into our categories because he's not an idol. He is the living Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they will see God. So there's this, this discipline that we need to go through if we're going we're to have anything more than a passing acquaintance with God. And Exodus has been wanting to help us with this. On this last few months, we've gone through this training program together as a church. We've been, we've been having our, our, our thoughts about God reshaped, I hope, and we've been seeing more of what he's really like. Exodus has been helping us to stop thinking about God in our terms and to start thinking about God in his terms. And I I don't know about you, but I think that's been really good. So that's what you need to bear in mind uh, for the rest of this talk, that that we're never going to fully grasp God, but we can begin to get something of a sense of him as we try to seek him um, through the power of the Holy Spirit as he shapes us uh, and reforms our hearts. Now, how are we going to try and summarise then what Exodus does actually say about God? Um, I have hummed and hawed about different ways to do this. I've I've known this talk was coming up for a while. It's been one of those ones that have been ticking around in my head. Um, And I'd gone down one approach, um, which was not the approach that I'd been kind of having in the back of my head. And I've come back, basically, to the approach that I'd always had in the back of my head. Um, Now, I've got to tell you, it's the, you might have guessed, it's the tough approach. It's the hardcore approach, okay? Um, Because I feel like if I gave you anything less than this, I'd be shortchanging you. My my aim tonight is not to make your head spin or to make you confused. Maybe it will confuse us, because God is... We're not going to see him. We're not going to see him fully. But that's not the point. The point is to try to show you something of the immense blessedness of knowing God as we see something of how awesome he is. Okay? So I'm going to try and give you if you like, some of the most basic fundamental building blocks about how Exodus talks about God and how the rest of the Bible talks about God. Um, And firstly, we're going to talk about God's nature. Um, God's nature. Um, Now, I wonder if you had to pick any two kind of characteristics, attributes of God to describe what he's like as best you could, the most kind of comprehensive summary in two uh, phrases. I wonder what you'd go for. Now, I warned us last week on Sunday morning that we need to be careful we don't kind of squeeze God down to a definition. But if you had to, if you could kind of pick a couple of words to kind of try to summarize God, I wonder what you'd go for. The, the two that come up, if you look at the kind of history of Christian thinking about God, might surprise you, I think. Um, the first one is being, and the second one is goodness. Being and goodness. These are the two phrases or words that people have thought of almost the most fundamental things you can say about God's nature, about what God is, okay? And we're going to take a little bit of time to think about these two. And I, I think you can almost think about them as almost like two tent poles holding up the, sort of the, the whole marquee of our thoughts about God, okay? If we can kind of somehow get a little bit of a grasp of these two ideas, that will help us, I think, to, 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 to frame our thinking about God. So being and goodness. So firstly then being. This is coming out of the first couple of phrases as the Lord proclaims his name in uh, chapter 34, verse 6. Do you see what the Lord says? As he starts to proclaim his name, he says, the Lord, the Lord. And Mark, uh, earlier on in our service, took us very helpfully back to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Where, where, Moses gives, where, where God gives this name to Moses, the Lord. Yahweh is how some people think it might be uh, pronounced in Hebrew, the Lord. Uh, and do you remember the kind of the full unpacking of that, of that name is I am what I am, okay, or I am who I am. Or we can say he is who he is. God is wanting us to get this sense that he is who he is. And this name that we've got there in our Bibles, the Lord in capital letters, my Old Testament professor at college, uh, who I wouldn't want to question, says that the Lord just means He is. He is. He just is. So we could read it like that, couldn't we? Verse 6. He is. He is. Can you see the reference back to the burning bush? He is who He is. The Lord is utterly unique, because unlike anything else, he just is. Um, Now, this this name that God gives himself, he is who he is, he he is. um, There's actually four really important sort of sub-attributes, sub-kind of uh, ideas that we can pull out of that, that will help us to distinguish God from anything else. So I'm going to try and run through these and sketch these out for us. So firstly, we can say that God is independent. Okay? His being, his, his existence is independent because he is who he is. Nothing else defines who he is. He's independent of anything else. Okay? He is who he is. Secondly, he's unchanging. He is who he is. Or we can say, it's the same in Hebrew, he will be what he will be. He's not going to change. The book of James tells us that with him there is no shadow of turning. He is who he is forever. And so thirdly, you can see how that leads on to a third thing we can say about God that makes him unique from anything else. He alone, truly speaking, is eternal. He always was. He always is. He always is to come. He is who he is. And then finally, we can say that God is totally pure. Um, You don't kind of get God by adding this to this to make God. There's no breakdown you can do of God beyond this. He is. He just is. He's utterly pure. Okay, so I don't know how many of those uh, you'll wake up tomorrow night thinking about, but hopefully that just gives you a flavor of the sorts of things that this name tells us about God. He's independent. He's unchanging. He's eternal. He's pure. Moses says in chapter 15, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Moses is expecting a negative answer to his question, isn't he? There is no one like the Lord, not in heaven or in earth, There is no one like the Lord. He is incomparably unique. His existence is so different to ours. He's independent, unchanging, eternal, and utterly pure. Well, how does that help us? Well, Moses thought it was worth singing about. Moses thought it was worth praising God for. And we've done that tonight, haven't we? As we started particularly, we sang about the God who was and is and is to come. And I don't know about you, but I like singing that. I like being able to lift up my eyes to one who doesn't change, who's totally pure, who's holy. And it helps us, I think, to remember that God is not a being in the universe. I wonder, as we've gone through Exodus, have you sort of had a sense that um, God, as he's displaying his power particularly, might be sort of trying to demonstrate to all of us how great he is? Have you ever got that sense of maybe thinking that God is sort of a bit like a bully. He's trying to show everyone he's the boss. He's, he's, he's in charge, and he'll kind of crush anyone who, who really gets in his way to, to kind of achieve that. But if, if you start thinking like that, you start realizing, oh, hang on a second, that means that God would kind of need us. It means he'd need his enemies to, so he can crush them, and he'd need us so he can be kind to us and show us his grace. And actually, that starts to diminish God's grace, doesn't it? Because if God needs us to show his grace to, then actually it's not really a free gift. It's kind of he's getting something out of it. Do you see? And often we talk about how we kind of give God glory. And again, it sounds like God needs us. But what this name that the Lord proclaims to Moses reminds us is that he doesn't need us. He is... He is. The Lord is totally perfect without us. He doesn't need to do any of these things that we see in Exodus. He's not getting any benefit from it. He's not. He's doing it because he wants to, he's doing it as a gift to us so that we can enjoy him. Hopefully that helps us to praise him. Um, the second, but then that leads us then onto this other kind of critical attributes. We've had kind of God's unique being. Secondly, the big other w- uh, word that people pick out is God's goodness. And you can see that there across the page in thirty three nineteen. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Everything about God, you can, can categorise as saying it's all about his goodness. That's who he is. Uh, God is, and God is good. He just is good. So we can go through those four things again and and see how they relate to God's goodness. God is independently good. He doesn't need anybody else to be good. He's good from himself. He's the fountain of goodness. Okay? Okay? Secondly, he's unchangeably good. Isn't that good news? He's unchangeably good. He's never going to stop being good. He's eternally good. He always was good, always is good, always will be good forever and ever and ever. And finally, he's pure goodness. He's pure goodness. He just is who he is, and he is good. There's no hint of darkness in the Lord. He's pure goodness. And so Moses sings again in chapter 15, verse 2. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Moses rests all his weight on this perfectly pure, perfectly good Lord. The one who doesn't need us and so is utterly trustworthy and utterly true. And brothers and sisters, we can do this too. The Lord's perfect life and perfect goodness are available to us through Jesus Christ and they will be utterly true. We can throw all our weight on him. You will never get to the bottom of the Lord's goodness. You will never find a hint of anything impure in him. You will never find any lack of strength or power in him you'll never find any change in him. What he is for you, he will always be. What he has shown us in Christ, he will always be. However deep we go, we will never find any darkness or any deadness in the Lord. Okay, so that's the Lord's nature. And uh, we're moving now on to the Lord's actions. Um, So... Have a look at the rest of uh, chapter uh, 34, verse 6. Um, The Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Well, I think we're used to thinking of this list as a a kind of another list of attributes of God, things that kind of are what God is in himself. But actually, I think it's quite important to see that these are not strictly attributes of God, they're they're works of God, they're summaries of the sort of ways that God works in the world. He's abounding in love, he shows love to people, he forgives wickedness, he uh, punishes rebellion and sin. And it's really important to see that when the utterly pure, unchanging God acts in our world, there are various results. Here's, how you, here's why that makes sense. God is infinite, and this world is not infinite. So all this world cannot ever kind of have the whole of God in it. It's, every, every moment, every bit of this world is only going to ha- ever have a little piece of who God is. Uh, so you can think about it as light going through a prism. You know how you have white light, um, But when it goes through a prism, it splits, doesn't it, into lots of different colours. And all those colours are kind of in the white light already. But when it goes through the prism, you start to see all the diversity. And it's a bit like that with God. God is utterly pure, like the white light. But when he creates the world, it's like a prism comes into being that that starts showing all the different aspects to God in all the different ways in creation, like the light splitting into all the different colours. And I think this is important, um, because um, when we see some of the different ways that God works in the world, the different aspects of God's character in the world, we actually struggle to hold them all together. We struggle to see how they can all be consistent, because our minds are limited. But we need to see that it's not like God is changing. It's actually that his effects in the world are just different angles on the one true God. I hope that's making some sense. Um, uh, Let's see. Let's take an example. God says says here, slow to anger. He's slow to anger. Do you see that there? Now, it's actually important, I think, to see that God isn't really talking about who he is in himself. Because God in himself has got no anger. He is who he is. He can't be affected by us in that way. He can't kind of get upset one day because we do something wrong. He doesn't work like that. He is who he is. Okay? God's anger is really a way of talking about God's judgment coming on us when we turn away from the Lord. And so this is saying God is slow to anger. God is slow to judge us when we turn away from him because he wants us to return to him. I think it's helpful to see that, because it stops us seeing God as sort of bipolar. One minute he's like this, one minute he's like this. One minute he's good, one minute he's nasty. No, God is not like that. God is utterly pure and faithful. But in this world, we will see different aspects of his utterly pure character. His justice and his mercy will come in different times in different ways. Well, I... I hope that, that wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't leave your head spinning. I'm sure it probably has. My head probably feels like it's a, a wee bit spinning. Uh, and I've been thinking about this um, for quite a while. As I say, the, I think these are, these are important truths. These are important things to try and grasp about their, our God. I know they don't come naturally to us, and I know it's quite heavy. But this is the God that Exodus reveals. The Lord who is and who acts in these different ways. I suppose some of us might have a question, well, if the Lord acts in all these different ways, how can I know how he's going to act towards me? Are we left in the dark about that? And the answer is no. Because there's a special set of actions that the Lord takes, and it's him speaking and making promises. The Lord is a speaking God. God. And when he speaks, he will always be true to what he says. And so we've had the Ten Commandments in Exodus, laying out God's character and what he expects of us as we live with him. And actually, this, um, what we're reading tonight in uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is really just taken from the second commandment. And that's the Lord really emphasizing, you can know what I'm like. I've told you. You can trust in that because I'm unchanging and true. And of course, as we heard this morning, the Lord has spoken to us through his Son. Listen to him. If we want to know what God is like, if we want to be sure how to, how to approach God and be with God forever, and know that we'll only ever experience his blessing, come to the Lord through Jesus his Son. Well, we can rely on these things ultimately because it is God who is unchangeably good because of his great and glorious character. And if I'm saying anything tonight, it's to try and encourage you that the scriptures teaching about God is wonderfully rich. It's wonderfully deep. And it's great food for our soul. Uh, John Piper, I guess, isn't everyone's cup of tea. But he is a great example, I think, of somebody who is passionate about seeking God's glory. Um, And I recently watched a video on Facebook um, where he, he said this. I read my Bible every day on a quest for a vision of God that will reassert his supremacy in my heart. I read my Bible every day on a quest for a vision of God that will reassert his supremacy in my heart. And when that happens, he says the idols will fall away. When we see the Lord as the all-sufficient, inexhaustible I am, as the holy God who does us good, then we will worship him alone. I like the way he used the word quest there. Because it's not easy, is it? We we don't get this kind of vision that Moses got uh, every day in this life. It's a struggle often to see God's glory. But why don't we look for it more? Why don't we seek it every day? Why don't many of us, or many Americans at least, buy more books about God? Well, we've probably had a few answers to that tonight. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to think about God. It tests our patience, I think. It tests our holiness. Are we really willing to devote ourselves to thinking about God? And it may be as well because we, don't have, we have too small a view of God. We don't really think he's worth bothering about. Or maybe we think he's only worth bothering about if he can give us um, a cosy, minimalist home uh, or next-level thinking. But, of course, those things aren't really that important, are they? What's really important is we know the Lord. Um, so we maybe need to remember... If we're tempted to have a small view of God, remember, he is, he is the Lord, the Lord. Or maybe we think, actually, we don't invest our time in seeking the Lord, because we think, well, he wouldn't really be interested in us. He wouldn't really want us to draw close to him. And so we kind of make do with lesser good things. But in that case, we need to remember the Lord's goodness, because it's the Lord's abounding grace that guarantees that he will make a way for us to live with him through Jesus. So just look at chapter 34 again, one last time. It's easy to be over-familiar with these words, I think. But as I've been preparing this uh, sermon, it's been astonishing to me how much the Lord, this inexhaustible, holy one, the one who is, is wanting to press home to us his goodness. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's almost embarrassing, isn't it, how much the Lord is wanting to show us how good he is, how gracious he is. The Lord wants there to be no mistake. Unlike any other God, he is the compassionate and gracious God. So will you let him preach that to your heart tonight? Will you believe that the Lord wants to do you no harm? That if you rest in his arms, you will be always and forever blessed? And that if you fill your eyes and your heart with his glory, if you go on a quest for his glory day by day, that will be your glory and your joy forever. For then the Lord will be our strength and our song, and he will become our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom and with whom be praise and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. What a beautiful name it is. Lord, we wish, I certainly wish, that we had more capacity to understand and delight in you. But Lord, we have heard something from you tonight, and we pray that what we've heard, we might take away and nourish in our hearts. And we pray that you might send us on a quest for a vision of your glory that will delight us, that will stabilize us, That will renew us and that will one day be fulfilled in matchless glory. Lord, we commit ourselves to you tonight, the God of the Exodus, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting that you are unchangeably, perfectly good. And we pray this confident because we know the name of Jesus. The grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.
0: Amen.